Hey everyone, my name is Antonia Mandulia and you're listening to That Hockey Chick. Welcome back to another episode of That Hockey Chick. This week, we're back on track. Leafs are back on track. Standings are starting to balance themselves out. So standings are back on track. The Jack Eichel saga situation, whatever you want to call it, back on track. Everything is starting to look a little bit better than just last week. So let's jump right into it. First off, Cole Caulfield. It's kind of old news, but he was sent to the AHL beginning of last week. The Habs are a dumpster fire right now. One of the many dumpster fire teams that we have seen so far this season. I don't think, like in my honest opinion, him being sent down, I don't think it's a big deal that a player like him, young, new rookie, was sent to the AHL. I mean, it happens all the time to rookies that were brought up too soon or rookies that are underperforming. It's a natural, normal thing that happens in the game of hockey. Someone's not performing, especially if they're a young guy, someone that was just brought up or someone that's new um, to the team, a rookie. It's totally normal. It's part of the game for them to be sent down to get you know, a few games with the farm team and then be be sent back up. So I think that the only reason it it was blown out of proportion, I feel like there's two main reasons. One is because the Habs are a dumpster fire team right now. So people are going to pounce on anything they can to further ignite that fire. As a Leafs fan, myself, and I'm sure many of you listening, we know that when a team is going through a slump, I mean, heck, even for for the Leafs, it's one game. One game lost this like this past um, this past Monday against LA when they lost. It was one loss. Yeah, it was a bad loss, but it was one loss, and everyone's you know jumping on every single player, calling for trades and calling for the team to be blown up and whatever. So as a Leafs fan, I understand that when your team is not doing well, it's easy to or it's a tendency to just pounce on anything you can in order to try and solve the issue yourself and in order to try and and I guess help the situation so that's one reason why it's turned into this huge thing and another reason is because of the media you look at all the tv shows the podcast uh, youtube channels sports analysts um, anchors on things like tsn and sportsnet everywhere uh, they hyped they're partly at fault for things like this happening in general, but specifically with Caulfield, because they hyped the guy up way too much last season. And since he came into the league, they've been talking nonstop about him, that he's he's going to be the league's next Austin Matthews, or he's he's going to be better than McDavid is, or whatever the case is. Those are, that's what the headlines were especially last season with the Canadian division or the North division and how he was stacking up against those teams. They were saying, oh, there's no team that this guy can't walk into and destroy. So when the league's supposed next Austin Matthews, when the kid that's supposed to blow teams away is sent to the AHL, yeah, everyone's going to talk about it. That's like someone like Matthews in his rookie year if he were sent down to the Marlies. The same thing would have happened because the the guys hyped up, but I just think that with Caulfield they they took it a step too far, like too soon, because uh, I mean I, like I don't want to undermine his skill. I'm sure he's going to be a talented player, 
as the years go on and as he develops more and more I just think that last year they took it way out of hand and I feel like the media is probably the most at fault here because of everything that they made him seem like last year and almost like they forgot that he is uh, still a rookie so the reality of the situation like I just said he is a rookie he's a young guy just like everyone else so it's normal for him to be sent down to work on it and improve totally normal I mean if you think about someone like Robertson if Robertson had played the whole season last season like how Caulfield played um or majority of the season for the Habs last season if Robertson did the same thing and he was sent down a month into this season we would be hearing the exact same thing like we we would be seeing other teams saying the same thing about our Robertson saying oh you know uh Calder uh Calder Trophy or Calder Cup they'd be saying the exact same thing uh so I I just think that it was uh it sucks for him that the media took it that way last season I I think that they're at fault for what's happening here but moral of the story when I'm trying to get at is that it's it's perfectly fine for someone like that to be sent down it's normal Um, I mean, I'm kind of happy about the topic because I don't like the Habs, so it's easy for me for me to talk about and it's fun for me to talk about because they are not doing well at all right now. So that's that situation. Moving on, I wanted to wrap up the Jack Eichel uh, saga and he has been traded to Vegas. Now in return for Eichel, Buffalo received Krebs Tuck uh, first round in 2022 and a second round pick in 2023. Also to note, Vegas is notably over the cap uh, by 11 mil once Eichel does get back. So there are there is some serious cap maneuver that Vegas will have to undergo, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but I should hope that they had something, uh, some sort of plan in place when they were going after Eichel, you know, some sort of plan to say, hey, if we get him, this is what we're going to have to do once he's healthy and and ready to return. And I think they said it was only going to be about three months. So they've got some time to either put their plans in motion or figure something out. Let's just hope that they have something figured out for their sake. Now, I saw a lot of back and forth talking about who won the trade. Did Vegas win? Did Buffalo win? I mean, I think Eichel won for sure because he's he's getting the surgery and the operation that he needs and he's going to get back on his feet, hopefully in their estimated three months. But in terms of the two teams involved, Vegas and Buffalo, who won this trade? If you look at Vegas, in their short time in the league, they have become known for trading away draft picks and prospects. They don't have a lot left. And their prospect pool is not very deep or talented. Having said that, in a couple years, they are gonna re- they are going to have a really hard time because, like I just said, they don't have much of a system built like in depth in terms of their pool of players and in terms of development. You look at a team. I mean, it's not the best comparison to compare them to the Leafs, who have this insane development system. But you look at a team like that that has this development system, Vegas has nothing even close to that. And although right now it may not seem like a concern because they have their set roster players, they have the older guys, the guys that have been getting it done for them every year since they've started in the league. So it doesn't look like an issue right now, but moving down the line in, it could even just be a year or two, they're going to be in some serious trouble because you can't build that type of 
development system in a year, let alone in the five years or whatever it's four years, whatever it's been since they've started in the league. So they are behind on that for sure. They definitely put all their eggs in one basket. And when I say that, I mean they put all the resources and everything they had into wanting to win the cup now rather than say, hey, we're a new franchise. We did good in our first couple seasons, but let's, you know, put a, put our foot on the brake, take a step back and make sure that we're going to be sustainable moving into the future. And instead, they said, you know, we're, we did great our first couple seasons. Let's just keep riding this, keep trading things away, keep getting assets so that we can win the cup now. And in doing that, they kind of screw themselves over because they're not going to be able to sustain any type of NHL-ready team come the next couple years. So was it worth it for them to trade away two roster players, one of them being a prospect, trading away two picks for a player who may not be ready? I mean, like I said, they estimated three months, but he may not be ready to play until much later depending on how the recovery goes. So was that worth it for them? Was it worth it for them to trade something that they had right now on their roster for something that's not going to be there until midway through this season? Was it worth getting rid of those future picks and um, prospects for someone that may or may not live up to what they want him to be? He's a still he's a skilled guy. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying what the view that they have of him and the value that they place on him might be too much for what he for what his potential is like so then is that worth it there's so many like so many things to consider and there is no way of knowing until it actually happens so then if you look at buffalo in my opinion i'd say that buffalo won they got krebs who is the uh, good prospect that i was referring to they got uh, tuck a decent roster player they got a couple picks which for buffalo i mean you have to look at this case-based as well so I just described the state that Vegas is in, the situation they're in, and the, their scenario, their case. I just described that and how the trade affects their situation, which is negative. <laughs> For Buffalo, looking at it in Buffalo's case, they're going through another, I'm going to say rebuild. It might not be a complete rebuild, but they're going through another sort of rebuild stage. So having those assets that they just got in those two roster players those are good assets to have having those picks that they just got those are good assets to have and they also got rid of the cap space from eichel too that he carried which we know was a lot so looking at their situation and how they're trying to they just they recently blew up their team this past season or this past off season so looking at how they're trying to rebuild um, around their core these assets this move that they made made sense for them they didn't see eichel as part of their core which is clear when they they made it hard for him to get what he wanted and they took away his c that was clear now looking back to vegas it seems like what they wanted isn't going to align for them and like I mentioned, in a year or so, they're not going to have any player prospect pool that's decent to pick from. They're not going to have any good reliable picks. So when Eichel is back to playing, and not just this season, like he might be ready in three, four months' time, 
but when he's back to his full health and you know full potential I mean just because a player is ready to come back doesn't mean they are ready to come back you look at Matthews he came back uh, when he had his wrist injury he came back but he wasn't ready to come back he wasn't his proper self he wasn't playing to his full potential until much later so the same thing is going to happen with Eichel especially with the the type of operation and the type of injury that he has it's going to take longer than three months for him to get back to his normal self when he is back to playing full strength and full health back to his normal self that's going to be the time that Vegas is going to start struggling to pull a team together because they're also going to run out of assets to trade for, for more valuable players. The only assets they're going to have left that people want are their actual roster players. So they're going to end up having to trade roster players for roster players, and they're going to have trouble building something to, building a system to sustain. So that's what I mean when I don't think it's going to align, because when he is back and healthy 100%, that's when Vegas is going to be starting to slip off in the, I would say in the next year or so. So Eichel is definitely a good player and he's a good asset for Vegas to have 100%, but I just don't think his play is going to align where Vegas is at in the next couple years. And he said with Buffalo that he didn't want to go through another rebuild. That's why he asked for, uh, for a trader. He said he wasn't going to play because he didn't want to go through another rebuild stage with them because he had already been through one fair but I have a feeling that he's going to be experiencing the exact same thing or similar thing soon in Vegas with how it looks like Vegas is heading so for his sake hopefully that's that's not the case but I really do think that Vegas is going to run into some serious trouble in the next couple years so we are going to take a break and move on to Maple Leafs news for this past week if you wanted to check an update on the NHL standings you can go to my YouTube channel and you can check out my video on the updated standings as of November 10th so stay tuned for the Maple Leafs news <laughs> Alright, so this past week for the Leafs we know was absolutely amazing. And this is not counting the game against LA on Monday, by the way. This is just covering, because we know that that was not a fun time. This is just covering the games uh, from against the Knights last Tuesday, Tampa last Thursday, and then Boston on Saturday. So, if I make any comments about how awesome the Leafs have been, it is irrespective of that game this past Monday. Anyway, so, and that goes for player of the week and main takeaways too. It is all regarding the games, the la the three games prior to the one this past Monday. So, Hall was still scratched the whole, we uh, the, the whole week, but he is playing this Wednesday, November 10th, against the Flyers. Campbell also got all the starts. I know I had said that I didn't think they were going to play him for all three games, but apparently, or it would turn out, so turn out that the Leafs didn't have a choice. Uh, Mrazek is hurt, again, out four weeks with a groin injury. They brought him back too soon. He got in the game before, it was on the Saturday when they won. I can't remember what team it was against, um, but so he played in that game. And that was his first game back after coming back from his first injury and he re-aggravated it or whatever he did. So it is safe to say they might have brought him back too soon. 
which sucks because knowing how fragile our goalies are in regards to injury and injury history and knowing how unreliable our other goalies are in Hutchinson and Wall it's it's weird to me that they would have brought him back so soon especially if he was still unsure I don't know if something else happened in between that game on Saturday and now that caused something else because if not then I find it really weird that they would have brought him back that soon, all things considered, with our goalie situation. So, Campbell did get all the starts, and it's also kind of freaking me out because we have three back-to-backs in the time that Mrazek is supposed to be out with his injury. There's one at the end of this week, and then we have two other ones before he's supposed to return. I'm very, very curious to see who it's going to be, if it's going to be Wall or if it's going to be Hutchinson. I really do wonder because based on past performance I would say just try just try wall just just to try because if it like I hate to say it but it's almost guaranteed that if Hutchinson and I I don't remember exactly which teams are playing but it's almost guaranteed that if Hutchinson goes in you better hope that the offense is buzzing that night because if it's like the Monday game against the Kings and our offense is not buzzing at all, then we're screwed because if our offense isn't buzzing, we can't really rely on Hutchinson to pull a Campbell like what Campbell did against Tampa the other night. So I don't know what's going to happen. There are also rumors that a trade is going to happen very, very soon involving one of Dermot or Hall, which I will talk about in the main takeaways. So there's also a rumor of that swirling around and the reason I bring that up is because the return is either supposed to be a Bogosian type defenseman or a goalie. They must be worried about the goalie situation too because going into this season if Mrazek has already been out two times and it's only been two months or not even two months, a month and a bit into the season, that's very questionable moving forward. So wanting to get a more secure backup it is a smart decision and prioritizing that over our defenseman and getting another defenseman I think is smart at the moment but we're going to return to that discussion in a second so that's pretty much all the news that happened this past week that I can remember so there's also oh there were also uh, Semyonov was also called up and that's because Tavares and Kasha uh game time decisions for the game this Wednesday uh November 10th so they were called up I guess there's a few injuries or aggravations floating around the locker room hopefully that is put to bed very fast I also wanted to just give before we move on to player of the week I just wanted to give a quick note on Tuesday's game against the Knights we won four nothing okay awesome game great game one of the best games of the season If it's not that one, it's the one uh, a few days later against Boston. One thing I want to say about this game is in reference to those who are deflating the Leafs win and saying that they only won because it was a deflated Vegas team. Well, yeah, that's exactly what happened and that is why we won because that's what was supposed to happen, right? I mean, if, if you have a team going up against another team that has a ton of injuries and absences in the lineup, you should sure as hell hope that your team is going to demolish that team. And that's exactly what happened here. The Leafs blew them out for for nothing, which is exactly what was supposed to happen. 
that's what was expected to happen. If we had lost, if we had lost or even if we had won by one goal, like if the game was two to one, the Leafs would have been ripped apart by fans, by anchors, analysts, everyone would have been ripped apart by people saying Vegas had no one and the Leafs still lost or Vegas had no one and the Leafs almost blew the game. That's what that's what the headlines would have been if they either lost or won by like one goal. And the only reason, like I understand there were Leaf fans that were hyping up the win so much. I probably was one of those people. But the only reason that they may have been hyping up this win so much is because of how the season started and because of how it was going up to that point. It was a it was a rough start for the Leafs. So as fans of the team, when they come through with a 4 nothing win, you're going to be happy. And I mean, no one's planning any parades or anything. We're just happy that they got out of the woods this past week, let's say. As is the theme with the Leafs, there's no way for them to win. There's always going to be something that people pick at. There is literally no way that they can win. <laughs> so... That's what I wanted to say about about that game against Vegas because it just sucks that every time they win, someone finds an asterisk to put on there. Every time they lose, the team's called for being blown up. They need to be blown up. They need to be traded away. It's it's exhausting <laughs> and it's it's annoying because you can't just be totally ignorant to the situation that the team is in. If they were already on a five-game win streak and they won that game 4 nothing great game, good job. But they almost lost to Chicago. They almost lost to, I keep forgetting that team they played on the Saturday after Chicago, but they almost lost to that team. I think it was another underperforming team, if I remember correctly. They had a rough start to the season. Like, you have to, you have to know these facts. And also, if you know the Leafs at all, when they play Montreal, or if they were to go and play Montreal right now, if they were to go and play the Coyotes right now, you think they walk away with an easy win? I mean, that's that's how the Leafs are, if, if you know them at all. When they play the lesser teams, they tend to have a tougher time. And that is one of the biggest, biggest mysteries that, one of the biggest mysteries that Leafs fans have been trying to solve, and it's unsolvable. But that's that's another thing. So for them to come out and do the opposite of what they normally do was also a good thing. So you can't just be ignorant to the situation. That kind of pissed me off. Anyway, so that's all the Maple Leafs news from this past week. Coming up next, we are going to talk about the player of the week. If you want to hear the game recaps from the game against Vegas, Tampa, and Boston, make sure you go to my YouTube channel and check out the video that will be posted there. So stay tuned for the player of the week. All right, so it is time to name the player of the week from this past week, which includes the games against Vegas on November 2nd, against Tampa on November 4th, and against the Bruins on November, I think I just said October. November 2nd against Vegas, November 4th against Tampa, and November 6th against the Bruins. The player of the week is Jack Campbell. And why is it Jack Campbell? Number one, he was named the NHL second star of the week. He got his first uh, shutout of the season against the Knights on Tuesday. 
and he was also single-handedly responsible for the wins against Tampa and the Bruins. He literally gave them the win. If it was not for him, they would not have walked away with those wins. Maybe not so much the game against the Bruins, but in both, definitely the one against Tampa, he was a, he was, like, there's no other way to say it. He was the reason that they won in that game against Tampa. There are so many instances where Tampa could have uh, ran away with the game. There were so many odd man rushes, so many times that the Leafs collapsed and it, I, the game could have been like 6 nothing the way that they were playing in the beginning. So kudos to him for giving us that win. And then in the game against the Bruins on, well, the game against Vegas, everyone played well, so that counts for him. And then, and he got his first shutout of the season. And then in the game against the Bruins on Saturday, Again, he was phenomenal. The offense was moving and buzzing a lot more than it was on the Thursday against Tampa, so that helped Campbell out a bit. But definitely that Saturday, he still stood on his head, and he he saved the game um, at certain points as well. There are a couple saves of his that come to mind on that from that Saturday game, and he, again, I'm just going to say it again, I keep repeating myself, but he saved the game for them, and that's what everyone has been asking Campbell to do since he started with the Leafs, and that is exactly what he has been doing this past week. I know the game against the Kings was not very Campbell-like, so we're not going to be talking about that game right now. It's just those those three games. So let's turn to his stats. So the, those last three games that I just mentioned, three wins, no losses, only three goals allowed on 95 shots that he faced. And in terms of his season stats so far, in 11 games played, he's got six wins and three losses, 2.09 goals against average, and a .929 save percentage, which is currently ninth in the NHL. He has also had a slow start to the season, so it's nice to see him picking up picking up the pace and returning to what he was last season because he was a huge part of our season last season. So it's just nice to see him getting back to that. I also wanted to name two honorable mentions. So, so the first honorable mention is to the core four. During the last three games, uh, the last three game win streak that we've had, Marner has got two goals, seven assists. Tavares has got three goals and two assists. Matthews has got four goals and two assists. And Nylander has got two goals and two assists. All of them with a plus four rating. And they all take up the top four points on, um, top four in points on the Leafs. They have been outstanding, especially with the slow start that they had. It's just nice to see them pick up the pace and do what they are supposed to be doing. Uh, so then also Bunting, I wanted to give him an honorable mention. He continues to prove how hard of a worker he is, how he belongs on that top line, and how important he is to this team. Although it might not show for him in points or on the scoreboard, he does the little things in the corners. He creates those plays. He makes those hits that get the puck loose, that get the puck back to the team. He is just all over the place, and he does all the, the gritty work. And he's just, he's been an awesome Hyman replacement. He's been, he has become a very valuable member of this team because of how hard he works. Also in front of the net, his presence in front of the net is phenomenal. And for someone like Matthews to have him there in front of the net, it's, it's been working awesome, at the least to say. 
Uh, so then another honorable mention was just to Liljegren for stepping up. Uh, he did what Sandine did last year, and he claimed his spot. The spot on that roster is his. Sandine and Liljegren are our bottom pairing, and although I think that they can do better than just the bottom pairing, uh, it, it, they are still young, so obviously there's still room for improvement, but them two together have been outstanding, and I really hope that they stay together for the whole season, or at least majority of it, because they have similar playing style, so they work well together. They also spent a lot of time in the Marlies together as well, but uh, just a shout out to, or honorable mention to Liljegren for stepping up and really stepping into his role, especially when the D were a mess, a disaster to start the season. It's, it's like a breath of fresh air to see him out on the ice. He looks like he belongs there. So that is player of the week and honorable mentions for the week. Coming up next, we have a take a break from tone segment. The first one since uh, the return to start this new season. So make sure you stay tuned to hear my conversation with a special guest. All right, so it is now time to take a break from tone. And today we will be taking a break with special guest, Sarah Aries. How are you? I'm good, yourself? I'm good, thanks. Nice to finally see you and meet you kind of in person. Yes, likewise. <laughs> yeah. Yes, likewise. The crazy in person that this all is now. Yeah, I know. So I wanted, yep. to, I, <laughs> I wanted to start by talking um, about that big night and those 28 minutes that changed a lot for you. And then I just wanted to shift gears into the work that you do and how you've been able to leverage that experience uh, for all your great causes and how you've been able to create more awareness as a result. Uh, so just okay. get started. Um, from your perspective, what was that night like for you, if you want to take us through it? Um, it was it was the same night as any other night that we've been there. He had been called down a couple times before in that year, um, but it wasn't. He just waited in the, the dressing room, half-dressed in that with um, everything but his uppers on, and um, I was actually really disappointed when he got called down because it was halfway through the game, so I had to watch the rest of the game by myself, <laughs> and it, it gets really lonely up yeah. where we stand, so yeah, it was just whatever, because we, we always stand in the stands and then do, like, we talk about all the plays, we talk about what's going on, so now I didn't have my buddy to talk about yeah. with, so it, I was like, great, this is going to be boring, um, <laughs> And I always let my family and friends know that he's getting called in. So if he goes down and just to keep the TV ready, just in case, mm -hmm. um, like to, to get ready to record it. And I, I think I was actually texting his mom to let her know that um, he had been called down. And next thing I know, the whole, the fans were going nuts. And I looked up and saw Mrazic laying on the ice and I, my nerves were shot and yeah. part of me wanted him to stay down but be okay and the other part of me wanted Mrazic to get up and just go back into the net yeah. um, and then when he wasn't getting up I my nerves got the best of me like I I think I could have been sick to my stomach oh, uh, because I knew what was going on but nobody else knew what was going on and there yeah. was a buzz you could hear everybody in the rink like talking amongst mm -hmm. themselves and people are googling everything and um Dave at the time didn't have Twitter so I think everybody relied on my Twitter to find out yeah. what was going on and I've always like been an advocate for his hockey mm -hmm. and what he's doing the practices he's going to um the Leafs outdoor game that he did so I think they learned a little bit about that and kind of used it and that's why my Twitter exploded from it but um 
I was really, really proud of him that day, but it my nerves got the got the best of me for sure. Yeah, I can can't even imagine what that was like. <laughs> so since since then, what's it been like for for you going back to Carolina? Like this uh, this past week with the game against the Leafs, seeing all the support that you that you get from the fans and the team. Like, what is what does that feel like for you? It's amazing. Um, and it's actually really, really cool to see how happy people get over it. Um, the Toronto fans, we actually got a lot of negative um, feedback from mostly Toronto fans with us going down and, and people being like, oh, Carolina's throwing it in the Leafs' face. But we had this trip booked um, right before COVID, March 2020. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously it got shut down. And I was super disappointed. Dave was super disappointed because we really wanted to go back for that game. And so we were just going this time as spectators. Like it was nothing. We wanted to see Toronto's my favorite team mm-hmm. and we wanted to see the two of them play each other again. And um, Carolina caught wind that we were coming down because we had talked to a couple friends down here to say, listen, we're coming in. And then they said, do you want to do the siren? Will you be up for doing some interviews? And Dave said, of course, because he'll always do that for, yeah. for these guys down here. Um, but it's cool because we walk the concourse and everybody stops him and that to take pictures like I am now a professional picture taker because (laughs) people will line up when they see him and I'll just take their phones and and constantly take pictures of of them um but that part for us is really neat it's not so much about his game anymore it's about he did when it played unbelievable I've never seen a hockey team rally the way Carolina rallied for that game um and he just stopped whatever he could stop I guess but um it, it, it that game wasn't about him but it was about him getting to live out his dream yeah yeah of course now taking those experiences now almost two years later how has it transferred to the other work that you participate in that I mentioned earlier like how has hockey specifically uh helped to spread awareness and the knowledge about um the foundation and everything and the academy and the apparel like how has has it helped you any differently than how you were participating in these things before? Yeah, um, it definitely has. So the Goalie Academy, we had started a couple months before his game, um, and he was just doing a, th- a few things here and there. And he was actually, like, um, he's always been doing goalie training, but it was since we got the academy up and running. And then that, with this whole thing that's gone on, it's just, it's boomed. It, it's done really, really well for himself. But again, he's fantastic and a great teacher. So I think that's what keeps the kids coming back. It's not so much the name. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to the Kidney Foundation, we were able to raise so much awareness. Um, they did an emergency fund as soon as COVID hit, mm-hmm. um, which blankets an awful lot of areas like it, it gets people who need transit getting to dialysis appointments. It gets people who need extra money or caregivers who need extra money. Um, and within, I think it was four weeks, we were able to raise $90,000 for them. And had his game not happened, that money never would have come in. And we've also started working with, right afterwards, uh, the Boulets from uh, uh, the, the Humboldt Broncos. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Logan Boulay, who died and donated his organs, I think he it was four weeks before the crash, he signed his organ donor card, and his parents are 
you've never met lovelier people in your life mm-hmm. and they are doing everything they can to get people registered to be organ donors and we hopped on board with them and tried to help them out because it's super important to us the organ donation living or deceased it's it's super important and so our whole thing right now is to get it out there and I can't tell you the amount of people who have messaged saying that they're going through stuff I just had a lady today from Carolina who messaged me telling me she's only got one kidney and now they found cancer in her second kidney which means if they remove it it's or it's dialysis it's transplant it's all of that mm-hmm. stuff so being able to sit there and talk to people about this stuff is the most important to both of us yeah that's that's really amazing and it's just it's really inspirational to see uh, obviously you were involved in it before but to see you know how you've been able to use hockey and you know to spread it even more it's uh it's a it's a really good story if if there's anything else you wanted to talk about in, in regards to that like other other work that you do or anything in relation to that um you can do so if there's other stuff you wanted to mention i think with, with the, mo- the most part of all of it is um i think we're very ignorant and not ignorant in the term of um something so negative we're just not educated mm-hmm. enough um, as to how we can help other people and you can you can function your body can function fully with one kidney um, th- this whole trip is even I've been very apprehensive because Dave's kidney is um, 17 years old and it's a 71 year old kidney it's his mom's mm-hmm. kidney um, so we do know that further down the road there will need to be another transplant and it's got me to the point where do I sit there and wait to see what happens and then get tested and that to see if I'm a match with him where I can donate my kidney. Um, our children have already said if it comes to a point, they will get tested um, to see if they're a match. And I just, if he's not a match to me, I will 120% gladly donate my kidney to somebody who would be a match, somebody I don't know or somebody who's in need because sitting on dialysis is horrible. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a horrible feat. And there's a lot of people out there who are scared and and the unknown is very, very scary. So like I said, you can function on one kidney and modern science is doing some amazing things right now with uh, trying to clone um, organs and that. But our biggest thing is get out there, sign your organ donation card. If you know somebody in need who's in need of a kidney, look it up, like get interested, get uh, more knowledge on the whole situation. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I just had um, one final question. I, I know you mentioned before that um, the Leafs are your team, uh, but does it yeah. does it make it interesting? Like when, when they go and I know you said you went to the game just to watch as a fan like this past week. Uh, do you find yourself sometimes cheering for Carolina? A hundred percent all the time cheering <laughs> for Carolina. I think it's because we have so many friends out here now. Um, and they just, they embrace you like a family. Where Toronto's run very business and very structured, yeah, yeah. it's a family out here. Like, yeah. they treat everybody like gold. And um, I was standing beside the GM for Carolina the other day, and Carolina scored, and I screamed. And it was just one of those, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I was I, I was completely a fan. Yeah, but yeah. seeing Anderson go down there, I've always been a huge fan of Anderson. I yeah. was looking for an Anderson T-shirt when I came out yeah. here to wear. Um but seeing him fit in and thriving in this environment is so cool. Like, it's just these guys, the players love playing down here. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is just so happy. It's so bizarre. Like, 
it's night and day when you go to Toronto. Mm -hmm. Like, you would never yeah. hear these fans screaming at their own players. Like, even when they're down, we've been to a game. I, I don't know if it was playoffs this year or if it was before and we were at a game and their team, Carolina, was down dramatically and the fans are still cheering for their team to rally. And it was just, it, it's really cool. It's such a positive environment down here. So you can't help but love everybody and love the team. Yeah, it, you can you can tell it. Like when you're watching on TV, you can tell it transfers through like through the TV. You can just tell it's it's very different. And I don't know, I don't know how it got that way for them, how they were able to build it like that. But kudos, yeah. kudos to them because it's it's pretty cool to watch. <laughs> Oh yeah, it is, and and they make fun of themselves too, yeah. right? Like they, it, it's just it's crazy how they're everything from their marketing guys to their social media people. Like mm -hmm. every aspect of that team is just they're great. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's uh, those are all the questions I I had for you. Uh, so I just want to say thank thank you again for taking the time to talk. You're very welcome. It, thank you. It was nice meeting you. All right, so it is now time for the main takeaways for this past week. The first takeaway that I have is our D situation, which I talked about last week too. But our D situation, where each of them stand, and also who's on the trade block because trade rumors have started revolving around certain members of the Leafs D. So let's take a look at this takeaway. So one of the main discussions that came out this past week was revolving around our D-men and specifically where certain members of our D stand and more specifically who's on the trade block because there have been trade rumors surrounding the Leafs and surrounding certain members of the Leafs D possibly in return for a Bogosian type defenseman or a goaltender to help with our current uh, uncertainty with our goalie situation. Now, specifically, it has been the conversation has been around Dermont Hall and Liljegren. Now, I, I put Liljegren in there, but he's not really on the trade block at all or anything. But the discussion is around who should play because we know that Hall has been scratched and Derm Dermot's been playing. We know that uh, tonight, which is the Wednesday night, we know that Hall is playing and, and Dermot is the one that's scratched. So now we're seeing everything kind of come into perspective because now we can look at it and say, okay, Hall's being given playing time now. Is it because he's sat for enough games and it's time to see if he's, you know, learned his lesson and figured his shit out? Or... Is he getting playing time because they are trying to show him off to other teams and try to show off his value for certain trade propositions? So now that that discussion is going to start. So it's really who should play, who should be the extra, who should be traded, what's the situation? Now, like I said, I put Lilligren in there, but I really don't think that he should be in there because... It's safe to say he has now earned his permanent spot on the roster along Sandine. Now, between Dermot and Hall, the main thing that I think is for Dermot, this is how he plays. The way that he has been playing so far this season is what you can expect to get from him. For Hall, this is not how he plays. The way that he has started this season is not even close to to how he was playing last season. And you can say what you want and you can say that, you know, this is 
who Hall actually is, but it's not. Because if he, you can't just forget how to play the way that you were playing before. If he was playing so well last season, he doesn't just forget what he did and turn to shit. That is his potential. How he played last season is his potential. Now, why he started off so slow, I don't know. But it's not how he plays. It's not his real value. Yeah, he's been garbage to start, but it's not how he plays. Now, like I just said, you think of last season also, one of the things that I saw people mention, one of the things that I remembered was, first off, how well he worked with Muzzin. Him and Muzzin were a great shutdown pair last season. You can also think of how he went head-to-head with McDavid last year and shut him down constantly every game that he was up against him. So you can't say, oh, it's because they are playing against weaker players and all that stuff about the North Division. He was going head-to-head with McDavid. Supposedly, not that I agree with it, the best player in the league right now. And he shut him down. So that is our Justin Hall, not what we are seeing right now. That is how he plays. Yeah, like I said, he needs to figure his shit out, but... I think sitting him for the last few games was a good decision and it was a step in the right direction to give him the chance to go back to how he was playing and maybe earn his spot back on the team. Now, if he is on the trade block and teams are basing his performance on last season, then he may be considered a more valuable trading piece than Dermot, also because he's considered to be a top four defenseman because that's how he was used on the Leafs. But I don't know if teams are staying away from using last season as a benchmark or not. Because if they are, then he might not appear as more favorable than Dermont. Now looking at Dermont, his trade value is lower. So it also depends what Dubas is looking for in return and what that return is coming back. That's what it all revolves around. He can offer Hall and see what the return is and then offer Dermot and see what the return is and then weigh his options. There were reports that Dubas was looking for another backup goalie like I mentioned at the beginning because of Mrazic's situation, uh, because of also the back-to-backs and the low reliability on the Marlies goalies. All that kind of piles up into one huge, possibly disastrous situation for us if Mrazic doesn't get better. Or not that if he doesn't get better, but if he takes longer than usual or if his injury uh, reoccurs uh, multiple times throughout the season. So there's that. And then there were also reports that Dubas is looking for another demon similar to what Bogosian was like, which is also good because that hole when Bogosian left, it hasn't, it was never filled. It was one of the things that I wanted to be filled in the offseason, but it never was. I think that could be what is missing from our D because it does I mean you look at our D they kind of look like they kind of look weak and they look deflated like it doesn't look the best I mean they have been getting better but it still doesn't look the best so getting a Bogosian type defenseman may be what the D are missing because right now that style of player is really only found in Muzzin and Muzzin can't be relied upon to carry the weight of that whole role himself it hasn't been working for Muzzin at all, really. So, again, like, it's it's unfair to rely. And, again, like, I hate going, keep, I hate to keep going back to the playoffs last season, but that's what happened, where we relied 
we didn't have multiple guys carrying out multiple roles. It was each guy had one role. And as soon as that guy didn't fulfill that role, the rest went to shit. And that's what's happening with our D right now. You can't rely on one guy like Muzzin to kind of carry um, to carry that whole role of, of the tough defenseman because, like I said, no one else. I mean, Riley comes close, but I wouldn't say that he's the same type of player. So who would I prefer to keep? It all depends, again, on what the return would be. If it's a solid right-handed D-man, then I would be okay losing the higher-valued haul because in my eyes, it would be like a almost like a one-for-one. One. Like, you take our highest-valued, or really our only <laughs> right D-man, and you give us a possibly stronger or equally-valued right D-man in return just to try and shake things up. Maybe that right D-man will fit better. I would be okay with that, but I wouldn't want to lose Hall if it's for another left, another left-handed D because we don't need that, and I feel like that defeats the purpose of keeping Hall in the first place when we decided to uh, to protect him uh, in the expansion draft. I feel like that would just defeat the whole purpose if we just let him go for another lefty because the whole reason he was protected was because the deals for right-handed defensemen were absolutely crazy. So we kept him because we saw the value in him based on how he performed for us last season. And we knew that we could get him for less and still get similar value than we would have gotten paying someone so much more. That was the whole purpose. So if you just let him go for a left-handed defenseman, it's like, I don't know, what was the point then? That's also the same case um, if it would be for a goaltender. If they, it also actually, it also depends what the actual situation with Mrazek is. If they think, uh, Leafs, execs, and stuff, if they think Mrazek is going to be long-term, like if that issue is going to be long-term and recurring, then I would say, okay, I'm okay with losing Hall for a new backup because if the goalie situation gets worse we can't rely on Hutchinson or Wall to back up Campbell and I know I'm looking far in advance but back him up going into the playoffs and into a push for making the playoffs right so but if the goalie situation is more short term and it's something where okay you know what we brought him back too early we learned from our mistake we're not going to do that again let's give him the proper waiting time I would not advise getting rid of Hall because long term he is going to be more valuable to the team than Dermot is. So I would prefer to keep Hall. That's my situation because I really think that he would become he he would become a defend a, a dependable defenseman in the future and I feel more comfortable when Hall is on the ice than I do when Dermot is on the ice. That's just that's just me. I think I I look at Hall and I say I see that in a few years, in a couple years He's going to be someone who's able to anchor a a defense pairing. I look at uh, Dermont and I say, and I see that in a couple years, he's going to be the exact same. He's not going to be someone who can anchor a a defensive pairing. He's going to be someone that just supports the other. That's kind of how I, I see the difference between the two. Now, what would I prefer for the team? to get like what do I think the team needs a defenseman or a goalie again it depends on what the situation the goalie situation is and whether it's long term or not because 
if it's long term and, it, and then they think it's going to be an issue moving forward and there is a viable goalie option right now they were looking at um at pittsburgh luis uh, domingue i don't know how to pronounce his name but if he's a viable option right now then i would say go for it because if we don't and then it comes and bites us in the ass uh, in the middle of the season or towards the end of the season when we're pushing for uh, for the playoffs and there's no viable goalie option around, we're going to be screwed. So that's why I say it depends on the actual situation with our goalies because realistically, if we get a decent backup and Hall gets back to his normal self and then we have Sandine and Liljegren, I think we would be okay and I think we would be okay if if we were to lose Dermot for, for something else or whatever the case is. I, I do think, though, that we would be okay as long as Hall gets back to uh, himself. So that's my bit on that. That's the first takeaway there. Second takeaway is just to shoot. Just shoot the puck. The title of the takeaway just speaks for itself. I just... It's frustrating because it's the exact same thing that happened last season and it's just come right back. And that's what makes it frustrating because it's like, we know that this happens with these guys. Work it out. <laughs> Figure it out. I mean, on the on the power play and 5-on-5, five five, regardless of what's, of what's done, whether they're on the power play or regular play, 5-on-5, five five, they just have such a hard time shooting the puck. They almost always opt to pass 5 million times before a shot goes off and it's they they just wait they they wait for that perfect shot they wait until they see that perfect shot and rather than waiting until you see that perfect shot they just need to get the puck off of their stick as fast as possible to help keep that cycle going and get rebounds and go after the rebounds and I know I, I keep mentioning the, the playoffs this season I, I know it's far ahead to talk about it but in a playoff situation not even just playoffs it towards the end of the season when teams start making their pushes those fancy goals and fancy shots don't come the perfect shots don't come it's the rebound goals that come and they need to learn how to do that more often or maybe they know how to do it maybe it's not a matter of learning it maybe it's a matter of adapting to a different style and just shooting the puck more shots from the point collecting more rebounds rather than passing endlessly and before a shot even gets off and half the time the cycle ends and the play starts going the other way before a shot even gets off so they just they just need to shoot third takeaway which kind of relates is the power play this past week it's been 50 percent four goals eight chances it has been getting better I know it's still horrible but it has been getting better and I know the power play that sticks out for most people from this past week is the five on three that we had against Tampa and yeah that was not good at all and based on that and based on the slow improvement I'm gonna say it's a slow improvement in the power play I think they should still consider making changes and I said last week I said by the end of this week if no real improvements had been made that they need to start making changes and I'm sticking with that they are improving don't get me wrong they are but it's too slow 
and it's too slow and it's not consistent at all. I mean, that five on three, there should have been a goal there. No question. You have that much talent on the ice and a goal doesn't go in. That's it's that's questionable and that's frustrating and that's concerning. I know that it happens to all teams. It's not like it's just us that it happens to, but realistically you have that much skill on the ice and you have an improving power play you should hope that a five on three is where they're able to capitalize and if they weren't able to come back if Campbell hadn't been playing how he had been and if they weren't able to climb back and tie the game and to go into overtime that five on three power play would have been the reason that they lost it would have been the reason that they didn't climb back and again, that's still the issue, the missed opportunities, because it's ga- exactly games like that where they're down and it's a five on three and they can't score a goal. That's what it comes down to, those exact situations where those are the missed opportunities that you need to be capitalizing on. And I think the, uh, another main thing too for the power play, which is like what I just talked about in the last takeaway, is that the puck has to be getting off their sticks faster there needs to be faster movement because it's too slow and again I think it's them it's a mixture of them waiting to waiting for the perfect shot waiting for the perfect pass trying to dig out the the other guys on the ice it's not worth it because it it might work sometimes and you might get a pretty goal every once in a while but it doesn't happen on a consistent basis and they need to be consistent on the power play so they need to they need to be there needs to be faster movement more shots you know you don't have to just get one shot that's a goal you can get five shots that might all be misses but they generate those rebounds and then one of those rebounds ends up in the net because I feel like the way that they work the power play is keep moving the puck around until you find that perfect shot and then that one shot will end up in the net they're banking on finding that one perfect shot to end up in the net that when they don't find that perfect shot or when that shot doesn't end up in the net, they don't know what to do. And that's where shooting from the point comes in and that's where just getting it on net comes in and they need to be doing more of that. And then another change I think they should still highly consider is putting Sandine on the first unit. I feel like he moves the puck a lot faster. He can get like Riley's Riley's okay there, but I just feel like he doesn't move the puck as fast as is needed. I think uh, watching Sandine a few times on the power play and just in regular five v five play, he moves the puck a lot faster and a lot smarter. So I think that giving him a legitimate chance on that first unit would be a good idea as well. So then moving to the next takeaway, which is the core four. I think it is worth mentioning, first off, the ice time allocation that has drastically changed since last season. And we know that was an issue last season, most notably with how much Matthews and Marner were playing above Nylander when Nylander was the one performing. And I saw that Marner has gone down about two minutes or almost two minutes and Nylander has gone up almost three minutes. So, I mean, that could be a combination of Nylander starting to play with Matthews and Matthews getting the more ice time, but I just, it could be that, but I think it's also just Keefe um, making those smart ice time allocations uh, on his own as well. 
Uh, so then, yeah, so during uh, the last three-game win streak, the core four have really stepped up even before just the past three games, but I'm just going to focus on those. So Marner's got seven assists, two goals. Tavares has got two assists, three goals. Matthews has got two goals, two assists, four goals. And Nylander has got two assists and two goals, all with a plus four rating. So not only have they been killing it offensively, but defensively, they have been standing up as well. And that is huge for, for the four of them, especially like I keep saying how slow they've started. It's good to see that the leaders of the team, that the core of the team are the ones that are stepping up to change things and that it's not, you know, the third or fourth line that are getting those gritty goals. It's your first and second line that are stepping up to try and change the momentum of the team, which is huge. Um, they're also uh, the top four uh, in points on the team and yeah, they've just been absolutely amazing just fun to watch all right so then the fifth and second last takeaway is the fourth line especially i noticed in the game against tampa uh actually in the game against the bruins as well i'd say uh with nick ritchie specifically um nick ritchie has been stepping up we know that he had a weird start i don't even know how to classify it it was a weird start going from the first line straight down to the fourth I mean, now he might be playing on the second line, depending on whether uh, Tavares is and Kasha are out. He might be moving to the second line. But either way, again, the game against Tampa and the Bruins, they did, the, the fourth line did amazing. I mean, Spezza, Spezza, he's just going to be amazing wherever you put him. Richie, like I said, he had two of his best games and one being against his old team, it was good to see him step up a bit. I would like to see him step up a bit more physically and uh, take part in the game a bit more physically, like I think he can, but he has been improving. And then Simmons, Simmons has been doing great. Um, I think he's been more of a silent successor and, and a quiet He's been successful more more quietly than others have been. Uh, he's been getting so many chances, and yeah, obviously they could have and should have gone in, but for Simmons, it was a great showing, and it's good to see him continue to do well and continue to improve. Him too, I would like to see show up a bit more physically. I feel like the fourth line isn't doing as much as they can when it comes to bringing their physicality. And then the last takeaway is the third line. They're not really impressing me as much as I thought they would. Uh, they've been kind of invisible to me when they're on the ice. I mean, I might not be paying attention enough to the details when they're on the ice, like defensively and stuff, but I'm not seeing it. Like, their plus minuses aren't anything to brag about. Um, I mean, that could just be from this last game against LA, but I'm they're... I don't know, I, I think I just had higher expectations. Maybe my expectations were too high. And having said that, there isn't much change that can be done in regards to the third line anyway. I don't really think there's anyone they can really bring up or like switch in or out. Like if Makai was here, they'd be able to switch him and Engvall in and out. But there's no one that they could really switch in and out or change um, in terms of the structure of the lines that would make it any better without making the other lines perform less. I mean, the first and second lines you don't really want to be touching right now. The fourth line, I'd say try and leave it alone too. So there isn't much moving around you can do. And again, there's not much calling up you could do that would make the line better. And it's not like they're performing horrible. So I wouldn't say 
just bring someone up and see what happens because that could be detrimental to the team as a whole. So I would just say leave it and let them kind of develop and work it out on their own. Those are all the main takeaways for this week. And that is all for my episode this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode and until next week, go Leafs go. Once again, my name is Antonia Mendelia and I'm the hockey chick. Thank you.